Thank you, Marv. Um, thank you. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Aaron. Uh, I'm on staff here, and uh, you know, part of me wishes that song was true about me, and I could fly away from this moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is um, it, it's such a. It really is such an honor to preach God's word, but this is uh, this is new for me. Uh, this is my first time preaching, and uh, and the good thing is, is it's not. What's in the scripture and what we're about to read is, is not dependent on me. And despite my weakness, God will go to communicate what he has for us today. Uh, so before I get any further, I'm just going to pray to that end. Uh, Father, would you be with me, uh, an imperfect vessel, uh, for your perfect word? Uh, would you prepare our hearts? Spirit, would you work in our hearts to reveal the things you have for us this morning? Um, I'll Say nothing more. Amen. Amen. So we are, we are beginning a new series uh, through Psalm 23. It'll be a three-part series. Uh, I'm going to do the first three verses, and then we'll continue on. Um, many of you may love the Psalms. Uh, maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that has always loved the Psalms. They've spoken to you deeply. Uh, they, they are beautiful words that God has given us. Um, maybe some of you are like me who maybe initially didn't know what to do with the Psalms. We thought, or I thought, uh, how do I connect with this? But, but as I have visited them over the years, I've grown to appreciate them deeply. And maybe there's a, a third category. I don't think all of us fit neatly in these categories, but maybe, maybe some of you just don't know at all what to do with them. You don't like them. You're never in them. Uh, they're, they're confusing, it seems like. David or the psalmist is this whiny, emotional person, and uh, what? How, how do I? How do I? How, how do I read this? Um, I think whatever camp you're in, uh, they the Psalms prove to be extremely valuable. So I hope, uh, and I know that, that you'll glean a lot from this. Uh, interesting facts, you know, it's actually the largest book in terms of verses in the Old Testament. Uh, over 2,500 verses, so they have more real estate than any other book. They're quoted some 560 times in the New Testament, so if you're tempted to think they belong in the Old and they aren't relevant to us, think again, Jesus, even his last words were, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. Uh, but how do we study the Psalms? What tools do we need to get the most out of them? Um, ultimately, the Psalms are poetry, so we have to understand a little bit about the structure um, and their Jewish poetry. So we need to understand about the context they're in. They're, they're, they're songs of the Jewish people written to God, instructing the people, much like we sing on the stage. This was part of their daily gatherings, their daily rhythms. And so... Um, yeah, they, they, they come in many forms. You see, you see laments, you see hymns, and you see thanksgivings. Uh, all 150 psalms don't fit neatly into those categories, so um, don't, and don't take my word for it either. There's a, a scholar named Bernhard Anderson, and you know he's serious with the name Bernhard. Um, and he says, you know, there's, there's too many uncertainties, I'll quote him here, there's too many uncertainties to permit an exact and rigid classification according to type. 
So if you're that kind of person that needs rigid classification, you can't have it. Um, if you're like me and enjoy the gray, maybe you'll appreciate uh, the fact that the Psalms just don't. But, you know, large categories, laments, hymns, and thanksgiving. Um, so let's just look briefly. I'll barely touch on this because we don't have a lot of time to get into it. But uh, the psalm that we're studying, Psalm 23, very, very well-known psalm, obviously. And it, it mainly uses metaphor, so really robust imagery to help drive a point. And there's also this beautiful structure. Uh, the technical term is called inclusio. Say that with me. Inclusio. Um, we'll, we'll get into that later. I'll explain what that means. So hold your breath. Um, <clears throat> why should we care? Why should we care about art, poetry, and beauty? You know, I think Marv even said it really well. I think there's something about the psalms and art and music that are able to articulate the deepest groanings of our hearts in the way that just mere words cannot. I think there's also just written into our biology as humans that when we sing something, it sticks with us. Or, or some kind of imagery helps us to remember some truth about God. God knows this. I think that's why the Psalms exist in some ways. So, all right, so let's, con well, maybe, maybe some, some of you skeptics, like, all right, we'll concede. I'll, I'll concede. The Psalms have some value. Um, I'll keep working at it. Uh, but what is, what's the purpose, or not, not the purpose, what's the point what are, the, what are the Psalms saying? I think before we dive into Psalm 23, let's just look big picture at the book of Psalms and, and actually even touch on the bigger picture of the whole Bible. Uh, the, many scholars have, have said that the first two Psalms are sort of the thesis or the, they kind of drive the, the whole point of the Psalms. And, and I'll paraphrase kind of chapter, or excuse me, uh, yeah, no, chapter one of the Psalms says, is kind of, get, kind of burst this idea of the way of the righteous is good. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, and there's fruit, and there's life, and it, and it contrasts that with the way of the wicked, and judgment falling on the way of the wicked. And so right, right away, we're introduced to this, this kingdom, this place where good and evil fight. Ultimately, we know that good wins, and that's where, um, in chapter 2, I'll have the verse on the slide, we'll just, I'll just read this briefly. Um, Chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion my holy hill. So already we see the king, the God who reigns, who ultimately, when he looks at all of the evil, all of the plots, all of the terror, he laughs. He's in complete control. Uh, James Luther Mays says it, I think says it really well in this quote. The Psalms are a poetry of the reign of the Lord. The psalmists throughout the Psalms, they cry out to a God who can do something about our suffering. He gives praise to a God who reigns, who did something 
throughout all of history and met the needs of the Jewish people. And he's the psalmist that gives us a glimpse of a future promise, a future King Jesus who will ultimately defeat evil and darkness forever. Amen? Right? Right? So, God who reigns, let's go to Psalm 23. Could you stand with me? We're actually going to read this. Uh, We're going to read the whole psalm together. Uh, I'll be focusing on the first three verses, but let's read the whole psalm together out loud. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can have a seat. So right away, who do we see? The Lord, Yahweh, his, his, personal, his personal name that he gives his people. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. And we even see at the very end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You remember our word, inclusio? It's a, it'll be on the test later. Um, it, that, that essentially means bookends, and this is, a, this, is a, this is a poetic structure that is used often in the Psalms. It begins with an idea, and it ends with an idea, and that's to signify this is the, this is the purpose of the entire text. God is the character, not the sheep, not our feelings, not our hopes, not our fears, God is the center, center stage, the entire purpose of this, this text. And we'll see, we need, we need God. It's not possible without him. Now we looked at shepherds. And this Again, this is the chief metaphor. So here we're going to camp on this a lot. And in the last two sermons, we've had a lot of good you know, sheep uh, culture and sheep education. Jake did a great job. I'm not going to do any uh, sheep calls or sheep noises today. Um, but we need to understand, we really do, truly need to understand this metaphor in order to, to grasp the beauty that it is. And for the people of Israel, it's really interesting. In fact, this is not my observation, but through my study, something, this is something new that, draw, that kind of revealed itself to me. We, uh, I think part of the reason this psalm is so popular is we're fairly individualistic Society and the idea that, that God is my shepherd uh, feels good to us, like more, you know, on our own, me and God, by a babbling brook. And it's this, you know, and there's a reason. I, I think that that's what this psalm is saying, is God intimately knows us, me, me personally. But this is the only time in all the psalms that the psalmist says, my shepherd every single other context. And even throughout scripture, as you look, whenever God reveals himself as a shepherd, he's a shepherd of the sheep. There's no such thing as a shepherd with one sheep. There's a flock. There's always a flock. And the people of Israel 
would be thinking communally when they're thinking of God as a shepherd, leading his people. And here would be an exception. Oh, wait. He's my shepherd. He knows me. He sees me amongst the flock. It's profound. It's profound for the, for the Israelite people, the Jewish people. For us, it's almost like, I mean, again, it's, it's so true that he's our shepherd, but we are uh, amongst the sheep. And maybe, maybe the, the emphasis here, at least for me, as I was reading this, is I need to remember my place among the flock. We need, a, we need God's people. He knows me, but we are amongst the flock. Perhaps in our context, yeah, maybe we put a little bit more emphasis on the flock. And God doesn't just, he doesn't just lead the nation. He provides for them um, in every single way. So uh, the Lord is my, our shepherd, and I shall not want. This phrase is, uh, I remember when I first, re- I don't actually remember it, I was probably too young. When I, remember, when I, when I, when I first encountered this, you think, well, what is, it's, a weird, it's a weird language. We don't really speak like this, shall not want. And, I, and I, maybe it's obvious to most of you, but it doesn't mean that I don't want anything. Uh, surely, surely we want a lot. Um, and, and God provides what we need. And this, this, this phrase, I shall not want, is actually, um, David is using the exact phrase that Moses did when he was writing in Deuteronomy. And I'll, I'll have this brief verse on the screen, I'll turn to it myself real quick. Um, so Deuteronomy 2.7, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And in some ways, you know, maybe in our modern context, uh, I lack nothing. I have everything I need. I don't want anything when the Lord is my shepherd, when I believe that the Lord is my shepherd. So, so what do we need? Uh, this brings us to our first point. The good shepherd restores us. And we see as we go to the metaphor, he restores us in two different ways. The first is he makes us lie down in green pastures. Now, again, I think Jake did a great job in, in all of his sheep research, helping us to understand sheep culture. Um, and, uh, and here again, we need, to, we need to go, let's go several thousand years ago. The terrain's actually very similar now. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a dry place. The pastures are few and far between. They're hard to find. You have to know where they are. Typically, you're, the shepherd would be leading his sheep, and you might stop and say a little bit of food, but you've got to keep moving. Otherwise, you're not going to make it to the next place. So this idea of the shepherd leads me in green pastures, or excuse me, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That makes me lie down would signify complete all of my needs, all my, at least my food needs, are met. And the fact that we were, he was, we'd be lying down would, would show that he's found such a great pasture, and there's such an abundance, there's enough food that I don't need to keep moving. I can actually rest for a moment before making and continuing my journey. It, w- it would also signify that the sheep, uh, as, as silly creatures as they are, they're terrified. They, they, would, they don't lie down very easily. It's, it's scary to be a sheep. 
there's plenty of things that can go wrong. And so the idea of lying down means I have my eyes on the shepherd. I feel safe. I have what I need. Food and rest. And it goes on. He leads me beside still waters. He takes the initiative. And again, to go to the metaphor, the shepherd would have to, have to go ahead of the sheep. And I have this funny image. If the sheep go first, and they see a river, it's far more likely that the sheep is in the river floating down the stream than it is getting a drink of water. It is, uh, the sheep are so needy, you see it all throughout this psalm. And the shepherd, so the shepherd must go first. Otherwise, the sheep would likely drown. And more than that, he would, most shepherds would actually, would actually build a dam, something I didn't realize without looking into this more. He would, they would build a dam and create still waters in the midst of this rushing river so that the sheep would be, actually be safe to have a drink. So again, everything the sheep needs. At this point in the metaphor, it can't do on his own. It can't accomplish this without the shepherd being intimately involved. Now imagine Israel. Let's consider this for Israel before we consider it for ourselves. The Israelites would, would see God's time and time again, his leading through the wilderness, providing for ways that they couldn't even imagine or even understand through manna, providing the word of God, the commandments. They're, they're reading this psalm and they're recounting all the ways, all the timeless ways that God has been with them, hasn't left them when they deserved it, when they turned their back on him. So what about us? Do we experience God's provision? Do we recall the ways that he has provided? If not, or maybe in addition, even when we recall, why, why don't we experience rest? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's a struggle. I think in our context, as we think about where we are in our entertainment-focused, information-overloaded time and place, I think a lot of those things don't deliver, and we can numb ourselves for our need of God's other, our need for God altogether. I think everything's right. Everything's grabbing for our attention. There's there's endless distractions, endless entertainment. We are affluent. We have what we need. We're not crying out for food and water. Uh, it's very easy for us to think that maybe I can just you know add God to my life. I don't need I don't need Him. We don't, we don't say that in our heads, but, you know, functionally, that's how we, that's how we live. Um, if we are in Christ, I know that the Spirit will convict us. I, I, I don't think that it means that all entertainment, social media, all those things are evil. Of course, of course they're not. Um, but we should all be paying attention to conviction on how we participate in using technology, how we participate in the abundance that we have. How do we keep our eyes on the shepherd? How do we remember our neediness? They're all questions we need to ask, and the Spirit, again, is faithful to us to convict us. For those of you who haven't come to know God or you're on a journey towards understanding who he is, I think we have to look at all of our efforts 
We look towards our jobs. We look towards our reputations, our accomplishments. We look towards things, things like social media, things like feeling we're important. Maybe we look to escape, even as damaging as, as like a, a silly substance or, or pornography or fantasy. And we have, to, we have to be honest with ourselves. I think we need to be that these things just don't deliver. They leave us empty. We've never seen anxiety and depression and mental illness as intense. There's an, this is becoming increasingly a problem. So what do you do with God? I, I'd ask, continue on that journey. Continue to explore. I think God is the God who delivers on that promise. So for those who are in Christ and committed to following him, for those who are exploring, we both must spend the time and repent. Repent of those things that don't meet our needs, our deepest needs that the shepherd promises to meet. So this, this section concludes with he restores my soul. I think this is a good kind of summary of the previous two verses. He leads me, or excuse me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This restores my soul. It's interesting. Um, it's interesting this restoration is provided by a powerful God, a God who reigns. Again, back to our overall thing. Someone who can actually deliver and actually truly say, we can actually truly say that I have everything I want, everything I need, I shall not want. I have everything. This restoration is a promise. And I think the final picture of full restoration is in our future. And it's interesting to know something that I think, I think Steve helped me Help me see this when we were chatting about it, but uh, the, the idea of restoration implies that something's broken, that we need to be restored, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't need restoration if we were just fine. But why don't I feel restored? It's, it can be so discouraging. Even when you're in Christ, you don't feel that restoration feels like things still aren't right. I think there's two things. There's probably more than two things, but uh, I think there's two things. E- either, there, either there's a sin or there's a, we're looking again to that, maybe meeting our needs or numbing ourselves to the fact that we need something. And then just a hint, I don't want to take Randy's thunder next week, but just a hint, there's, we, do, we go through the valley. You know, we're in a broken world. Bad things happen. Horrible tragedy happens. Sin of others affects us, sometimes excruciatingly so. And we, we don't feel like we're in a pasture. We don't feel like our needs are being met. And I'll, I'll leave that tension in the air for next week. You guys know the passage well. I, I, th- I, I, don't, I don't think I'm stealing Randy Thunder to say that Jesus is absolutely involved and with us in those places. So don't be discouraged. Have hope. But let me, let me, let me finish this verse. I'll try not to go into <laughs> verse 4. 
uh, he, uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's our second point. The good shepherd guides us. And he does so because of who he is. So let's go back to the metaphor, uh, the context of the sheep. Um, a shepherd, again, you need the shepherd. We find, our, we find the sheep, once again, completely dependent on what the shepherd gives. And um, again, if you know the terrain, there's hills and valleys, and, and there's so many paths worn by other flocks, worn by other animals, It'd be, if any of us were to walk up there, it would be a constant maze of different paths weaving all over the place. If you didn't know where you were going, if you weren't an expert in the, in the right ways, you'd be lost. You'd never get to your destination. Again, you immediately go to the Jewish people in that context and, whoa, is it true? God, God takes you places that you would never go. You have no idea. I mean, the, the Israelites would, time and time again, God didn't fail his people. He led them on the right ways, to the right place. He delivered on his promises. And passive righteousness is interesting. Uh, I wrestled with this a lot because uh, I wasn't sure. Does it mean, a lot, a lot of commentaries and a lot of things, does it mean right paths or does it mean like the moral righteousness? I was go back and forth and I think I think largely it, it means both. I think, I think it can mean the right paths are the ways, the good ways that God has for us, which would imply some of his commandments, some of that, that, moral, that moral pursuit, righteousness. But again, the, the, it's really for the sake of this metaphor, I think, it, I think we should first focus on the right paths. And I think that, that, metaphor, that sheep metaphor is beautiful. The right pass also hints, I won't go there, Randy, it also hints at the fact that, you, that you're, you, we, the, these right paths go to bad places sometimes, dark places, places of pain, sorrow, f- fear, death even. But it's the right path. It's not the easy path. It's the right one. Let's just look briefly at some other ways that the psalmist speaks about this. The good shepherd always knows the right way. In Psalm 25, the words will be on the screen. Um, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For I wait all the day long. There's that neediness so well described. Look again at Psalm 5, 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Here we have those straight paths, those right paths, the paths of righteousness. All these phrases are just littered throughout the Psalms. And they're also contrasted. And we don't have, I mean, we don't have time to go there today, but if you look at Proverbs, you have the right way and the crooked way. And contrasting, it's very easy to get on the wrong path. We need the shepherd this next phrase is incredible. There's so much here. We don't have to, I, don't, I would like to spend more time on this. But So why does he lead us? For his name's sake. Another way of saying this would be for his reputation. You could say for his glory, for the sake of who he is. 
And when you look at that, a shepherd must have a good reputation. He can't lose sheep. Otherwise, he would have no flock. So for the sake of who he is, and we, we take this, you're like going to pull out from the metaphors for a second, and you look at God, and you look throughout Scripture, and, and he, can't even, he can't even dwell, he can't even exist in evil. It, he, it's like he doesn't know how to take the wrong path. He is so righteous, so holy, so above us, that it would be impossible for him to go the wrong way. Let's look at Psalm 5 again, just, just a little bit earlier in there. Verse 4, it says, For you are a God who delights, who, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. So we have a perfect God with the best reputation, and we follow him for his name's sake. And when we follow him, we, we continue to bring his name honor, because when we are near the shepherd, we are safe. We go the right way. What we need is him. We see in all three of these that the sheep need him in every term. They can't get what they need. They can't go, they can't arrive safely without the shepherd at all times. To where, as we consider what this means, where are the danger spots? How is it, how do we get off track? Because I think, if we're honest, we don't feel, or we don't, sometimes don't know or don't believe that the shepherd's good and that we actually have what we need, or we don't find rest. And I think, you know, we've already touched on some ways where our own sin can, can get in the way of that. We can, we can look for wrong things to satisfy what we truly need. We can also numb our own neediness through endless distraction and pursuit. But I think there's, there's, an, there's a small pitfall in our context that I, I've seen, I've seen it in my own heart, that we can be tempted to know the right way to go without God. I think you see this in, in, the, in some of the worst of Christianity and the prosperity gospel and that cultural Christianity that just says, you know, if and they don't say this. It's it's in the it's it's in its subtlety. But I, I could I could just read enough verses, memorize enough things. I could just go to church. I can be a part of the right groups, the right crowds, the right. And I can maybe I just don't I don't need the shepherd. You know, functionally, what their lives say is that I could maybe I could find the right way on my own. Maybe if I'm good enough, I don't need a shepherd. I think it's especially important in our affluence, in our knowledge, in our very, very, very comfortable society. It's easy to just live life good, good enough, but without the good shepherd. And I, and I mean it when I say it. If I'm honest, I'm in, I'm in this struggle with you, both of those camps. I am so tempted, so tempted and given to that temptation to forget my own neediness, to look for rest, to look for my, for my deepest needs to be in something that's not God. 
And I've, I've even been like the religious fool thinking that I, thinking that I can just know the right things and that I don't actually need to be in regular communion with God. I don't need to have my eyes on God. I think we all need to be honest. Uh, and it's, it's tricky because we have, this, we have this head knowledge and we know, of course, that we can't find the right ways without God. But I think here's where the Spirit is convicting, has convicted me. I've, I've seen this grow. I've seen, I've seen myself turn less to those things. And I've seen myself, even as I'm tempted to see those things in my life now, that the Spirit convicts you. There I go again. There I go again. Running to something that won't satisfy. Trying to numb myself to my neediness. Thinking I know the right way without God. I think of the present struggles I have. I have four kids, ages seven to three. I think of when I feel the most frustrated or feel the most uh, at my wit's end. And I don't know about you other parents, but like bedtime is a, is a serious endeavor. <laughs> all, all hands on deck. And I look at this, like, I shall not want, like, I want something. I, I want you to stay in your room. Like, would you, would you just go to sleep? <laughs> I don't. And that feels like a need almost sometimes. Um, man, am I dissatisfied sometimes. And, then, and, I, and in those moments, I, I, here's where it gets real. Like, in those moments at the end, I sit down. I'm like, the tenth time they've come out. And I'm like, okay. Oh, okay. Here we go. Netflix. Let's do it. Let's, let's get, let's like, I need some refreshing. I need some restoring of my soul. Maybe this will, maybe this will get me back to a place of uh, fullness. And then they come down for the 11th time. And, uh, and then you get my anger. So how do we know when we aren't turning towards God? And it's, again, we just, we don't have time to go into a full-on, like, counseling session here, but... Um, for me, and I'll just use this one example, hopefully, hopefully this is helpful. I, for me, when my anger comes out, or you could have any, any category here, I think when sin comes out, that should be a clue to us that maybe we have our hope in the wrong thing. Maybe we're looking to this thing for something that it doesn't give us. So when my kid comes down and I snap at them, I mean, of course, I should. I mean, we should discipline my kids. This is an obedience issue, right? Like, I'm not saying don't do those things. Like, we, I need to guide my sons and my daughters towards better things, towards towards trusting me, so they can trust God. But if they get my anger, not my patience, not my love, not my affection, then I need to ask. I need to ask the hard question. Do I want this more, or am I looking for this to satisfy something that only God can? And this, this leads us to one of the greatest things that we need. This leads me. This leads me to remember who I am. So who are we in this time and place? One of the greatest needs of all time was answered by the greatest Savior of all time. Our brokenness and separation from God was met in the person and the work of Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, the fulfillment of David's psalm. It was so cool to see what God did 
through the timing of John 10 and leading us to here and to sit under Jake and Steve's teaching on this. So I, I have to quote it. Uh, John 10, 14 and 15, the words are on the screen. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus became the ultimate shepherd. He met our needs, our hunger. He gave us the bread of life. He met the need of water by being the, the, the true water that satisfies our thirst forever. He promises to give us rest like the sheep had when he said, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He did what the shepherd didn't do in Psalm 23. In some ways, he, he, he fulfilled it. He laid his life down for the sheep. He died for the sheep, providing the ultimate need, ultimately restoring us to God, saving us from ourselves. And when you look, we don't have time to go there, but when you look, you look I don't know, who was, maybe I was talking to Andrew, I, I, and it said it in the commentaries too, there's this really cool thing that Psalm 23 is just bookended on Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, and it draws, you have to, you have to wonder if God or the writers put these here for a reason, because again, I'm, Jesus quoted from Psalm 23 when he was on the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I, I really encourage you. In fact, that's homework for you guys, is to read Psalm 22 and 24. Psalm 22 just goes through, and it just like unpacks this desperate need for God to save us. Save us. We are completely helpless. And then 24, Psalm 23 is tucked in between these two, like God save us, and then the king of glory. It says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. It's signifying Jesus' ultimate and final defeat of sin and death forever. The king who reigns, defeating evil forever. So how, how do we live in light of this? How do we know where our hearts are Again, I can't give you a complete answer, but I've found, I found something that was really helpful to me as I was looking for other resources around Psalm 23, and uh, David Powelson was uh, the director of CCEF for many years. Uh, yeah, sadly, he's passed away. Great leader, great counselor, and he had this beautiful rendition of the Psalms, and this feels, maybe this feels kind of dark, but, um, but I find it really helpful. He wrote the anti-psalm. Basically, um, take Psalm 23 and write the opposite. What, what, what would be the opposite state of being? And so it's on the screen. Re read along with me. It says, I am on my own. Oh, it's all right. Um, it was not on there? Huh. I'll just read it. Imagine the words in your head. Imagine the words in your head. What does it sound like? I am on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated. I'm often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I 
can't fix myself. And again, there's times in my life where that feels more true than Psalm 23, doesn't it? And again, I don't intend this to beat us up. I think, I think sometimes we're in a valley. and This just feels true. Where is God? Sometimes this is, if this is, or, and if the Spirit's convicting, sometimes this is my own doing. I put myself here. If I read this and I think this is more true of me right now, maybe, perhaps, I don't actually believe that the shepherd is good. And I need to go to the scripture. I need to remind myself of what's true. And we're amongst a flock. That's why we're here, to remind ourselves of what's true, that the shepherd is good, that he does deliver, that he is powerful, that he does reign, that he did solve the problem. Who are we really? Who who are we really? So I want to read. I don't want to end on a downer. I want to read the psalm, just just the first three verses again. Steve, can you go back to that and just put it on the screen? Just that first slide there. Let's read this. This is what's true. The anti-psalm is helpful, but it's not true. The Lord is my shepherd. Read with me. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Marv, why don't you come up? Um, do we believe that? Do we believe the truth of Psalm 23? Let's cling to that. That's the promise. That's the truth. Our deepest identity is sheep, and it should be that way. We need the shepherd. We can't do it on our own. Let us remember who sits on the throne, the God-man reigning and he'll bring all of himself to his own, raising them from death to life forever. And let us spur each other on towards that belief. So Marv, when you play that last song, and then I'll close this.